Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to What a Creep, the show with Margot Donio and Sonia Mansfield talking about creeps from the past to the present. This is your quick guide to the biggest creeps, jerks, assholes, and losers. The best of the worst. From two nice ladies who want the world to be a little less creepy. Welcome back to What a Creep. This is Margot Donahue, and my cohort and creepitude, as always, is the amazing Sonia Mansfield. Hey, Sonia. Hello, my amazing friend. Hello, my amazing friend. We are repeating an episode because we are going to be in Chicago later this week. I'm going to be officiating a wedding. Sonia's going to a Cubs game and we are going to go on a crime and mob tour. It's going to be amazing. (laughs) We're super looking forward to this. So we decided to replay one of our top, top rated episodes. This is the one people say, if, if it gets a little dark, if you need a laugh, Mm-hmm. Put on the Errol Flynn episode. <laughs> That'll crack you up. Yeah, it it's uh it's a little gross, but <laughs> it's okay. Trigger warnings. Yeah, it's a little gross. It's a little gross. I mean, there's our trigger warning is sexual assault, so just do keep that in mind. He wasn't a great guy. And also when his autopsy happens, there's a discovery that's gonna be a little <laughs> You know, maybe not eat a sandwich at that time or whatever. I mean, just no, not a hot dog, certainly. Anyway, yeah, but I did. I did recently in our Facebook group ask people what their favorite episode was, and this was an overwhelming favorite. So I'm glad yeah. that we're re-releasing it because I do think it's one of our funniest ones. But like I said, a little gross. <laughs> Be sensitive if you. It's not. It's not for the those with like weak stomachs. <laughs> It's an interesting tale. He was a huge movie star. He had a big career. He also had a big crash in his career. We just love these old-timey Hollywood stories. Mm -hmm. And so that's coming up next. Once again, um, like always, follow us on all the socials. And uh, we love it when you use the Annie Potts gift from Ghostbusters. We got one when you have suggestions for creeps and non-creeps. We're at CreepPod on Twitter because somebody had what a creep for 10 years and never used it. Creep. (laughs) <laughs> follow us on instagram what a creep podcast our email is what a creep podcast at gmail.com follow us on our website all the episode notes are there and we will be back the following week with a brand new episode brand new creep and i think sonia 
Yes. We're going to record an episode in Chicago. Ooh. I'm going to bring my recording equipment <gasps> with me and we'll do that for a bonus app. That is a great idea. That'll be so fun. And we will be very inspired by that cro- that crime and mob boss tour. It's, I mean, a whole tour about creeps. I just want to go to the wiener circle and get insulted <laughs> by people. If you need inspiration, go to look up Conan O'Brien Wiener Circle, where they go to Chicago, and it's the meanest place to get a hot dog you can ever imagine. And it's also hilarious. Can't wait. Here we go. Errol Flynn. What a creep. But are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Okay, here we go. Errol Leslie Flynn was born June 20th, 1909 in Tasmania, which is an island close to Australia. His father, Theodore Thomas Flynn, Thompson Flynn, excuse me, he was a botanist, a scientist, and a professor of biology at the University of Tasmania, plus several places in Europe. Very, very smart man. His mother was born with the name Lily Mary Young, but when she got married... It was actually six months before Errol was born. She changed her name to Morell. And there's all kinds of controversy why, but there you go. Her mother changed his name. Uh, The Flynns were seafaring people. They loved the water and boating and sailing. He loved his father, like I said, and he wished he was as smart as him. Both of his parents engaged in affairs. And Errol claims that several times he caught his mother in bed with other men. This is part of what made him furious at her. Also, he blames her. I was going to say he blames her for his lifelong problems with women, of course, because if it's not one thing, it's your mother. But supposedly she was a very angry woman that she hit him a lot. He also was hit a lot by his grandfather and his parents also. They kind of passed him around different schools in Europe and Australia. And so he's kind of like a rootless kind of person. He, as a kid, he he was basically, literally, he was kicked out of every single school he's ever attended. He always had a problem. Damn. And we're talking, he was you know, boxing and getting into fights. He was good at tennis, but he was a very angry kid. And supposedly, he said he lost his virginity at the age of 12 to a woman who did their laundry. So a woman, a woman who does, did their laundry? Yes. Yeah, and there's a few women okay. that he hires, and then he you know hires them to be a maid or a cook or whatever, and then he winds up sleeping with them. He is a coxman, as they say. He has sex all the time, and he's really good at it, apparently, because the women keep coming back. He hmm. has uh, quite a temper, but he's also, uh, uh, throughout his life, everybody says it, he's incredibly charming. He knows how to tell a story. He likes to have fun. He's very impulsive. We'll get to the the animal stuff happened when he was young. Like I said, you can listen to the dollop if you want to know what that's all about. But uh, I'm just going to stick with this other stuff. So at the age of 18, he didn't graduate high school. Basically, he starts going, taking a boat and going from Australia to New Guinea, and then back again, and then back to New Guinea again. He goes back and forth and back and forth. He has several jobs. And basically, the guy fails upward. He gets fired for white stealing. Guy. He's a total white guy thing. <laughs> and this is around the time of like heavy colonialism of, you know, being of England throughout Europe and Africa. And, and India, and a, a, a white man can show up. I mean, the way that they're, it's described, he talks about in his 
autobiography about the savages that he had that he worked with. He worked as a gold prospector. He was a plantation overseer. He was a boat captain mm. and he was a slave recruiter. He bought and sold Ooh. people to work on different plantations. There's a story. Holy shit. Yeah, it's it's pretty intense. Okay. And he writes about this and he's typical like he doesn't do a lot of work. He just tells people what to do and then he goes off sailing you know, where he takes a nap or he's chasing women. But he, he loses yeah. basically every single job eventually. You know, he makes money and he loses it. And he's broke. He's not even good at being a slave recruiter? No. <laughs> he's- well, he shows, up at, he shows up at one. What a fuck up. <laughs> he shows up at one place. And, well, there's two rumors. One of them was he said himself that he once had to kill a slave. He went to the police oh. and he got off on it. Now, Errol Flynn says a lot of things. So what's true? What's not true? What happened? You know, what was somebody else's story that he adopted for himself? Who knows? Mm-hmm. But he abused animals when he was young. And he's got a temper. He's very privileged white guy. He gets very angry. Like in um, that part of the world in New Guinea, when there were Asian people there, he was very upset that he had to treat them like equals. He thought they should take their hats off around him. Um, He didn't understand the idea of like warring tribes uh, and that, you know, that that could be a problem to manage. He just didn't. He sounds like a real Prince Charming. He's, yeah. Exactly. There was this big war, and it was between two tribes. He was kind of caught in the middle of it, and then he talks about the story where he noticed a girl, a very young girl, and he said she looked really scared, like she was going to get caught up in the melee. And then he starts describing her body and how perfect her body was. He grabs her and takes her and has him work for her, and then she becomes his next girlfriend, his next conquest. Mm -hmm. So... Mm -hmm. He's a real gent. Uh, let's just say that. Yeah. Yeah. Real piece of work. He, also, people who kill animals, like you're probably, that you're kind of, you've casual, casually mentioned, um, these people are psychos. Well, the, these are the people that grow up to, like, murder people. They start with animals. Yeah, they do. Just saying. No, no, those serial killers. That's that's one. It's like bedwetting. Yeah that a head injury and if you're attacking or hurting animals like and it's yeah it's he's he's a real gent so he does this for a few years he never really makes the fortune that he wants to like i said he fails upward and then he finally fails spectacularly and he can't get a job he doesn't know what to do with himself so he goes back to sydney he gets discovered by someone because he's super handsome i should say he's like six foot two uh, brown hair, great smile, great build. He is hired to be directed in a picture. It's a black and white. Well, of course, it's black and white. It's 1933. And the movie is called <laughs> The Wake of the Bounty. And it's the first film about mutiny on the bounty. And even though it's... Okay. Yeah. It's Australian. It's an Australian production. You can see clips of it. And even though his performance is kind of stiff, he, like I said, he's super handsome. He has charisma. He sees the performance, realizes he he needs help. He needs to work on his craft. He decides, I'm going to learn about acting. So he goes back to England. He was in England for a while before when he was a a young kid. He starts working. He gets accepted to the Northampton Repertory Company. He gets a few parts as an extra. 
and he's really loving the theater company. But one day he gets really mad at a female stage manager and he threw, throws her down a flight of stairs. God. So they basically told him to fuck off. But it was okay because he, like I said, he had a couple of parts as a walk-on and somebody at Warner Brothers in London said, oh my God, this guy is gorgeous. He could be a movie star in America. And he immediately gets to go to America. On the boat ride over, he meets a French actress and her name is Lily Demita. And she's a few years older than him, but she knew her, her way around Hollywood and he was always like latching on to people that mm-hmm. knew what to do. So they get to, by the time they get to Hollywood, they're totally interested in one another. They eventually do get married, but their relationship is very temp- tempestuous. Like the kind of thing, like she'll take a bottle of champagne and crack him in the head with it. He, he deserved it. Yeah. Oh, of course he did. I mean, they, they, they're one of those couples, you know, they're constantly fighting and yeah. then having sex and, and they're so fun at parties. Oh my God. Going, to, so fun at going parties. to dinner with these people is the worst goddamn thing ever. You could just feel it's the like contempt. The most, it would be, oh my God. It would be the most awkward dinner ever. It's oh like, yeah. Do you want dessert? No, nope. no, I don't nope. want dessert. Oh, Actually, look I'm, at the time. Look at the time. I think my stomach's not, not agreeing with this food. I got to go home. Sorry about that. Later. Yeah. Here's my part of the I have to go leave the sitter. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) You don't have kids. Bye. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) So his first big role is in 1935's Captain Blood. And it's this huge Warner Brothers production. He's there with 19-year-old Olivia de Havilland. He's 24 or 25 at this point. He is a swashbuckler. This is his first appearance. It makes a shitload of money. And when you watch clips of it, him and Olivia de Havilland look great together. They have incredible, Mm -hmm. incredible chemistry. He falls in love with her. She says they never consummated it because he was always married. I don't know. I think all actors lie a little bit, but Mm. they have a lot of chemistry. But he literally, (laughs) he becomes a movie star overnight. I know people overuse that word, but... He, it's his first picture. It's a starring role here in America. He's so good looking. Just like I said, he's very suave and the women go crazy for him. You know, women want to have sex with him and men idolize him. And some of the biggest movies from this time are The Adventures of Robin Hood, The Adventures of Don Juan, and The Forsyth Affair. I have seen The Adventures of Robin Hood. I have I remember it, quite liking it. I, I have it in my rental. I know I saw it. I should say I did see that one. I saw it a long time ago, and I always thought he was a great Robin Hood. I, I think he has a lot. He has a lot of charisma. Yeah. He does. He's very, he is very handsome. Yeah. So he likes to party, as we've brought up before. He has a beautiful home set up on Mulholland Drive. There he likes to drink and chase girls. Demita doesn't get as much work because she has a very thick Parisian accent. So she's drinking at home, getting pissed off a lot. But what she didn't know what he did. At Mul- That's fun. Oh, yeah. He sounds like a little, yeah, he sounds delightful. But he had, at Mulholland Farm, he had a section of the house called the Playhouse. And they had people over all the time. Like, this is where you wanted to party. But in there, he put in secret passageways with peepholes and two-way mirrors so he could spy on women getting changed, you know, use, get to put on their bathing suits <gasps> or taking a shower. And he also, he put in microphones. Oh my, this is why we call it creep. 
Ew. Say that again. I, like this is he's literally spying on people like being a peeping Errol Flynn. It's so gross. Oh, it's disgusting. And he also puts in microphones so he can listen to them talking. So the men can listen to hear if the women are talking about them. And it said in one of the books I read is that at his parties, they were known to feature live bands, new divers, fencing exhibitions and plenty of girls, along with a menagerie of animals. I hope he didn't abuse any of them. And by the way, right. his son, Sean, is born in 1941. It's the same year that he and Demita finally split up. Here's a side note. It's a sad one. Um, Sean later became a photojournalist. He was known for taking big risks like his dad. And in June of 1971, he was on assignment for Time Magazine in Cambodia. The Vietnam War was going on. And he and a colleague, Dana Stone, they disappeared. And they were on assignment. Um, and they think they were captured by the Viet Cong and were killed by Khmer Rouge guerrillas. He wasn't declared dead until oh 1984. But yeah. And that was his only son. He didn't that live to sad. see that. Yeah, it's terrible. In 1942, Errol desperately tried to join the world, the war effort. All of the actors were doing this. Um, Jimmy Stewart, everyone, you know, wanted to join. And he didn't want to look, you know, also it's a, some, like for him it was machismo. It's not more about loyalty. Yeah. And because he loved to do dangerous things. But it turns out when he, all those years in New Guinea and whoring around, he had malaria. He had tuberculosis. He had an enlarged heart. And he had several types of STDs. And the army said, no, thank you. He did. <laughs> and they gave him a 4F. <laughs> By the way, they for sure, they were like, that's no, fine. It's fine. <laughs> there's, there's no way. Where are you going to send this person? Join us. Yeah. So, but that later in the year. Hey, actually, they'll send Margo. They would just send him overseas and then like tell him to like sleep around and spread his disease. He's playing the long <laughs> game. That's how you win the war. <laughs> You won't win any battles, but you'll win the war. <laughs> well, considering like what's going to go, go on for Errol Flynn, it's probably all for the best, but because his problems are kind of just beginning. And he's had like an easy couple of years, like I said, super famous, handsome. He's having affairs with Betty Davis, just all the glamorous women you could think of. Going back to August of 41, he had a Life magazine photo shoot. It's on his 100-foot boat called the Sirocco. And I was psyched about that because on Below Deck Med this past season, they had a boat called the Sirocco. So I was like, oh, okay, I know how to pronounce that word. It was really exciting for me. I was wondering how long it would take you to get Below Deck Med into <laughs> one of our What Are Creep episodes. And not long creep. at all. Good job, Margo. <laughs> Okay, so a photographer decided to bring girls on the boat to pose with him. And one of them was a 15-year-old girl named Peggy Satterley. He had sex with her on the boat. And then that night and then the next night. And she, when she went home, she told her parents what happened. And they went to the police but the police said, you know what's going to happen? They're going to put her on the stand. They're going to make her say things. And she's going to, you know, be, it's going to be salacious. You probably really don't want to do this. And then so the parents tried to sue Errol Flynn's people, but they managed not to do that. Okay, that was in, okay. Then a year later, a 17-year-old girl named Betty Hansen went to a party at Mulholland. 
when she said Errol seduced her and she said she was drunk and didn't fight him off. She and she tells the and she's a, a runaway, by the way. So these two poor two girls, they so she goes to the police. Yeah. And at the time, here's the thinking. It's at Warner Brothers used to pay off. They had cops as insiders and cops would go to them and say, hey, we know this guy is a drunk or this woman is a lesbian and was caught at this bar or whatever. If you pay us off, we won't get them arrested and we'll keep it out of the papers. Mm-hmm. And apparently Warner Brothers was behind on the payments or was trying to get out of that. So what they think they did is that they put these two cases and brought them together and they put him up for statutory rates, three counts of statutory rape. One for Pe- two for Peggy and one for Betty, and so that's he. He claims they just wanted to, as he said, put the screws on him. And this is according to his autobiography, by the way. That was called "My Wicked Wicked Ways." Peggy's. So it's a big and it's a big freaking deal, you know. The big this big matinee idol, and he's on trial for raping teenagers. But Peggy's lawyers made a mistake for her in that they told her to dress up younger. So she totally overdid it. And she did pigtails and a little girl's outfit. And oh, yeah. By the way, the jury was like 90% female. The, The women were put through by his defense team. They were put through the ringer. And it turns out, oh, my God, they had sex before with other men. And one of them had an abortion which they just called the procedure, but it was an illegal procedure. So, you know, it doesn't take long to figure out what they're trying to say there. So it's no big shock, I don't think. But he he's acquitted of the crimes. The girls never really got any justice. And years and years later, they were tracked down. And they both just said that it was horrifying because they put their, their names in the paper, their pictures in the paper, yeah. their addresses. That's what they did at the time. And so these poor girls, like, they were just labels as liars and tramps and stuff like that their whole lives. So it's just... They didn't... They didn't... They didn't want that, like, sweet, sweet rape fame. Which we've we talked about. so bad. Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah. That's they what, didn't want it, huh? No. But it's so good. It's so sweet. Now, and so Errol Flynn, he is acquitted, but the problem is that it really does hurt his reputation because he... Because he's a rapist. Because he's a rapist, but also he's an admitted person. He would say several times over throughout his life, I like my whiskey old and my women young. One of his favorite things about dating young women is they have nothing to say, so he doesn't have to listen to them talk. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he's He's a real Matthew McConaughey in Dazed and Confused. I get older and they stay the same, same age. age. Yep. He, by the way, in the courthouse, there's a girl working like the candy counter or whatever, the newsstand. She was yeah. 18 years old and he started dating her right away. Her name was Nora Eddington and he married her a year later. They wound up having two two daughters, but she leaves him in 1949 and they never officially lived together. His drinking and drug oh. use increases at the time. And I should say, he's really into, he's always in pain because of all of his ailments, especially the malaria. Like, it, it makes him feel like he's having a heart attack. And so, he, he actually, he takes heroin. He'll take anything to dull the pain. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. It's pretty intense. He's constantly in physical pain. He's constantly depressed. He has flings with women. He's up all night drinking. And then he goes to the set 
and he's day drinking. Apparently, one of his tricks was to take oranges and take a hypodermic needle and fill it with vodka, and then he would just eat from the orange, you know, all day. Like, he was constantly drinking. So then he started forgetting. Wow. Yeah, he started forgetting his lines. I'm going to do that. (laughs) Don't, please. Thanks for the tip, Meryl Flynn. (laughs) Why is Sonia always eating oranges at work? (laughs) Yeah, um, his, his so like I said, his drinking and his drug use, it's really going up there. He's having tons of flings with women, and it's starting to affect his looks. Um, they're going to hell. He's just not getting the parts that he's used to. And also around this time, I should say to you, the expression, in like Flynn, he claims it was about his ease with women. And that's how the expression he wore it as mm-hmm. a badge of honor. And a lot of people say that's where it comes from. Mm-hmm. I don't have any real confirmation that's where it comes from, but he wanted to call his autobiography in like Flynn. And the publisher said, hell I no. I no. bet he did. Yeah. Well, one of the times that he has a break from work, he decides to head off to Jamaica, which is kind of a new place to go at the time. He ha- buys a huge amount of land there, and he loves, loves, loves it. He's like I said, he's a seafaring man. He likes an island, you know. He he wants the beach. He doesn't want to be stuck in a city. And he's only taking parts just to pay the bills. Like I said, he's losing his looks, so he's not as hot as he used to be. But he is really good in a movie that I really liked him in, and it's called The Sun Also Rises. It's based on the Hemingway novel. Mm. But most of the time, his appearances are now on television. He's one of the first movie stars that transitioned into doing television parts. But he always looks miserable. He does a lot of the game shows, you know, like You Bet Your Life and To Tell the Truth, stuff like that. But he looks miserable. Absolutely miserable. In 1950... He marries actress Patrice Wymore, and they have a daughter. And all of his kids who are living, a couple of them have passed away, but the ones who are living all say over and over again, he was a great dad, but he was a really terrible husband. And the ex-wives of him, they never forgave anything he did, especially Lily, the first wife. Like She went after him for her alimony every month. If he was late by a day, she had lawyers on him. He was constantly having to pay these women off. And it's like, look, you're a grown man. This is, you know, take some responsibility. You know, you, he also at this point in 1950, he's in a real financial crisis. He owes the government several hundreds of thousands of dollars in taxes. So he's really, he's in a crisis. And now we're going to enter the last few sad years of Errol Flynn. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18. Plus. Let's fast forward to 1957. Errol is on a movie set. He's 48 years old. And this on this set, he meets 15-year-old dancer Beverly Adland. 
and she it, he is completely smitten with her. And Beverly's mother was one of those sad show business moms, you know, that just kind of pushed mm-hmm. the kid into like Natalie Wood's mother. I mean, there's, a, you know, Judy right. Garland's mother. There's like a whole line of mothers that push their daughters into a business and sleep with whoever you have to, you know, just, just you know, have fun, do it, and that kind of thing. So she was fine with her daughter dating yeah. him. Errol and Beverly moved to Jamaica to hang out. And they make movies there. He starts to write his memoirs. He realizes at one point, he has several yachts. He realizes he's going to have to either sell or lease one of them because he's so dying for cash. He really needs the cash. So they go to Vancouver, Canada, and he's going to work with somebody to lease one of his boats. But by the time they arrive there, and it's October 14th, 1959, he complains he's not feeling well. The, the, the guy that's going to get the boat picks him up at the airport. And he says to Errol, it goes, and Errol's complaining in the car, and he looked terrible. And he says, I'm going to take you to my doctor right now. So they go straight to the doctor's house. Doctor gives him some Demerol for the pain, and he has a guest room. He goes, why don't you just try lying down for a little bit, and then we'll check on you and see how you're doing. And he said, okay. And he was in so much pain, he couldn't sleep in the bed. He just lay down on the floor. But 20 minutes later, they went to check on him, and he, and he was dying. He was unresponsive. So they got, put him in the They call the hospital. He gets taken to Vancouver General Hospital, and he's pronounced dead there. He died due to cirrhosis of the liver. All of his health problems from the malaria and the TB and the multiple STDs. Now, <laughs> I am going to give you a fun Lord, How old was he? 50. Jesus Christ. Uh, he drank a Dang. lot. Yeah. Yeah. He lived, he worked, he lived hard. He partied hard. Here's the fun fact I found from the coroner in Vancouver. There was a story about it a couple of years ago. He had genital warts. He also had supposedly a gigantic member. So they were like, okay. we got to see for ourselves. When they see it, it's covered in warts. So... The, I know the coroner was like, well, this is interesting and started cutting them off and was going to put them in specimen jars to study them. And then somebody told him like, no, we got to ship his body back to L.A. And the guy's like, oh, man. OK. And then taped them back on him and then shipped him <laughs> to L.A. And supposedly they didn't so notice there. It's so gross. But it kind of, I feel like he deserves it because he's just such a creep. You really can't use duct tape for anything. You really can. Anything. Yeah. It's good for anything. Just tape those gentle words right back. So it sounds like Errol Flynn had big dick energy. So he had STDs and BDE. <laughs> big dick energy? <laughs> yes. That, yeah. And that shit's contagious too. Oh, yeah. And I'm thinking like, does he not know how to use a condom? Like these, all these poor women that had sex with him, you know, what, what the hell was going on with them? They were probably all sick too. But at the time he died, so he'd been with his, his 17 year old girlfriend at this point, he was promising to marry her, but he, they were living in Jamaica. He, but he was still officially married to Patrice Wymore, though he had grown to hate Hollywood. She had him buried at Forest Lawn Memorial Park Cemetery as a big fuck you to him. Which I kind of love. I'm sorry. It's just like, 
I know you hate it here. And now you'll be here forever. <laughs> and and th- th- for many years, he was honored in Jamaica for helping build tourism there. He actually is a really big part of like why it's so popular, why it became popular. And the entertainment press I wrote here, they've been mostly kind to him over the years, even as recently as a couple of years ago, I saw a documentary and they kind of gloss over the rape stuff. There have been a few controversies about him over the years. Most of the press has been pretty kind to Errol Flynn. I think people just like the idea of Errol Flynn. You know, we like the idea of a star. You just don't want to hear the crappy stuff. And so they kind of overlook the trial because they think like maybe he was railroaded. And, and it's, you look, it was a different time. You know, nowadays he definitely would be arrested and, and would be convicted for statutory rape. But anyway, the first big controversial thing is in 1965, just a few years after he died, a book called Kenneth Anger's book called Hollywood Babylon was released. And it's one of those books. It's completely salacious. You would think everybody in Hollywood is a drug addict, a sex addict, having orgies, being crazy. He he doesn't source anything, so you don't know what's true and what's not true. But it's the funnest read ever. Awesome. <laughs> it's the funnest read ever. But his there are stories in there. He when he became divorced from Lily, the first wife, he supposedly he moved in with David. Well, they did. They were roommates. They moved in together. He had to leave his Mulholland home for a while. And when they and we always thought of David Niven as a very proper British gent. Um, they apparently had orgies at their apartment all the time. And the only reason their friendship kind of blew up was because Errol supposedly propositioned him. That's what broke up the friendship. Yes. That's like, I'm totally fine with G's and most likely like getting an STD from you or like (laughs) sleeping in this or being in this orgy with you. But how do you, you know, want to fuck me personally without the the deal breaker? (laughs) Cool. Okay. Good to know where the line is with David Niven. Yeah, yeah. So in 1980, author Charles Hingham wrote a highly controversial biography, Errol Flynn, The Untold Story. And basically, his scandal was that he said that he was a fascist and that he was a spy for the Nazis during the Second World War and that he was bisexual, had multiple same-sex affairs. This actually, calling him a Nazi, is very much like what what set the family in motion. The guy had no proof. He was a person that wrote a lot of biographies and didn't source his materials, and he said very outrageous things, and he had absolutely no proof of any of this happening, but Errol Flynn's family tried to get this, um, tried to sue him, but you can't sue on behalf of a dead person because mm. technically you can't hurt their reputation because they're dead, you know? And so right. they, they never were able... So even to this day, some people say things about him being a Nazi, but he, he was not a Nazi. And end of story. He just went... But it turns out his one-time best friend was a guy, and this name is the strangest thing ever, Herman Urban... And Herman Urban, <laughs> Herman Urban was a guy from Austria, and he was a scientist. And he met him, Errol, 
when he was in that phase of his life where he was just going from job to job to job, you know, all over the place, Errol had always said he was my best friend and he had the best ideas about things. I learned so much from this man. And then Errol kind of goes to Hollywood, does his thing, and then they kind of lose touch with each other. But it turns out that Herman Urban, who is Jewish, by the way, he joined the Nazi party in 1938 and started working for Hitler Mm. as a spy. But there's no evidence that they kept in touch with each other during World War II. There's just no evidence of any of this stuff. So it's just a weird coincidence that his Jewish-Austrian friend became a Nazi. But they were very close at one time, but they Uh, weren't. I'm fascinated that the Nazi sympathizer is the place where the family wants to draw the line. (laughs) They're like, yes, he was an alcoholic with many STDs and raped many women and was all about, you know, sleeping with, like Nazis, you've gone too far. Yeah, if they were okay with him, yeah, sleeping with 15-year-olds, they didn't complain about, but it was the, the Nazi thing, that was too much. That was a bridge too far. Yes, there's also an interview in Penthouse magazine. I'm, I'm fascinated by Scientology. I just think it's the most insane thing ever. But one of L. Ron Hubbard's, and he's the founder of Scientology, LRH as they call him, his son Ronald said mm-hmm. that his father, L. Ron Hubbard, had a friendship with Errol Flynn. He can, and then Flynn considered him almost like a father. And uh, by the way, L. Ron Hubbard supposedly was a super charming, good talker. People loved to be around him. They thought he was full of shit, but they thought he was very enjoyable. He said that F- Flynn and LRH engaged in illegal activities, including drug smuggling and sexual acts with children. But Flynn never joined Scientology. And, Interesting. Yeah, and since he's and since he's died, like I said, the the, the movie universe has a very light um, attitude about Errol. F- they overlook all uh, Errol Flynn. Excuse me. They overlook yeah. a lot of his rakish behavior, as they would say. But he's been portrayed by Peter O'Toole in My Favorite Year. Duncan Rager, he play, played him in a 1985 TV movie. The by the way, his book My Wicked Wicked Ways came out in December, just like two months after he died. And it's considered one of the best autobiographies. Oh, wow. Yeah, I mean, it was great timing for him. He knew when to go. He said everything. Was it true? <laughs> he knows, knows how to make an exit. <laughs> he knew marketing. So he was always going to be remembered for that. So Duncan Regger, so it was this movie from 1985. I watched it on YouTube. It is the phoniest of balonies. Like they just take away all the, <laughs> the nasty stuff. And mm-hmm. just make him say, like they just present the story he wanted. But there's a character named Neville Sinclair, and Timothy Talton played him in the movie The Rocketeer. Um, okay. Uh, Guy Pierce played a version of him in a 1993 Australian film. Jude Law played Flynn mm-hmm. in Martin Scorsese's movie The Aviator. Kevin Klein played him in a movie about his final days, and it's called The Last of Robin Hood. And he co stars in that with. Dakota Fanning, who plays the 15-year-old girlfriend. Gross. Yeah. Actually, it's probably Kevin Klein's really great. Uh, Kevin Klein's awesome, and he does a really good job. <laughs> I saw some clips, but yeah. But anyway, that's it. So that's our, our Errol Flynn. He is a, was a, a man who lived with his id and just didn't care about other people and did what he wanted to do, and he lived really, really big, and he died in a really sad way. And he was also a total creep because he took advantage of people all the time. He abused his privilege as a white male in that world. 
And there you go, Errol Flynn, old school Hollywood creep. What a fucking creep. Good job, Margot. <laughs> He's such a creep. He's so bad. And then there's there's this documentary I saw on YouTube. There's like a bunch of them about him. It's just a series of men just excusing his behavior, like one after the other after the other, just because they liked his movies. Yeah, of course. You know? and Yeah. Yeah. No, they still do that. Yeah. They still do that. Like, I mean, look at Roman Polanski. Yep. Yep. It's like, well, you know, I like his movies, so what are you going to do? Right. Like, gross. Yeah. Do you want to hear about someone who's not a creep? Yes, I do. So I also decided to do some old school Hollywood. And in a career that spans seven decades, Vincent Price appeared in more than 100 different roles. He did movies, TV. He did commercials. He did music videos and voice acting. I think Vincent Price is rad. He's one of my favorites. I I love watching his movies and I especially love watching them in October. So I felt this was appropriate. I didn't want to go into like a whole history of Vincent Price, but I wanted to share some cool things about Vincent Price. So first is he once wrote a book about his dog called The Book of Joe. Isn't that sweet? Yes. He has, he's been married three times, but the second wife and him wrote a series of cookbooks together Vincent Price is like a he's a gourmet chef and he used to have a cooking show on the UK called Cooking Price Wise. <gasps> I didn't know that. And yeah, I, I actually went looking for it and I couldn't I couldn't find it. I thought maybe it would be on YouTube, but I couldn't find it. But what I did find and I sent to you because it's so awesome is a clip of Vincent Price on the Tonight Show with Johnny Carson showing how you could cook a fish in the dishwasher. <laughs> <laughs> and I just think it's amazing. <laughs> So they, he shows him and he like scoops out some of the fish and he's, you know, and John and Johnny says something like, you know, you're really good at, you know, deboning fish or whatever. And Vincent Price says like, well, I've been married multiple times. I'll, I know how to bone everything. (laughs) (laughs) And then he says, I imagine you're pretty good at it too. (laughs) He's just so, he's just so charming. Uh, anyway, it's really it's really cute, and you guys should look it up on YouTube. He also was a really well known collector of art. He was really into like fine art appreciation, and he talked about the joys of collecting art whenever he was on talk shows and stuff. And he used to do game shows all the time too. But he actually really liked it, unlike Errol Flynn. So you could see him on like This Is Your Life, or he used to do Hollywood Squares and uh, stuff like that. But he partnered with like Sears Roebuck, and he made like he worked with them to recreate works of art by like Rembrandt and Picasso and stuff like that but it was for sale for like affordable prices so that like regular people could have good looking art at their house which I think is cool I mean that's other very people cool I think that's lame but I think it's cool he was very into his art he and his second wife like had this huge collection and they donated it a lot of it to the East Los Angeles College they donated like 2,000 pieces of art what else did he do I have a whole list Oh, he had a mail order book club in the <gasps> 70s. Isn't that amazing? That, that specialized amazing. in mysteries and detective novels. So Vincent Price's daughter, and her name is Victoria Price, which I think is amazing. Of course. Uh, wrote, yes, of course that's her name. She wrote a biography about him. And she actually shares this story that I'd, I'd never heard this before, that she found these like old letters that he had written where he was kind of, 
expressing sympathy for like the Nazi movement. So before you're like, wait, why is he in your not a creep? So he had been to Germany and kind of dismayed at how awful it was there. And Hitler's going to make Germany great again. But not he didn't say that. But you know what I mean? That sort of thing. So he like wrote these letters kind of expressing sympathy. But then I like, talked to people and realized like, oh, he's not really trying to make like Germany awesome. He's trying and he changed his mind, changed his position, like fucking learned, learned something and adapted to it. And he is not way a Nazi sympathizer. I just thought it was really I just want to throw this out there. There's so many people out there where like the idea of like changing your mind or fucking learning something is like the worst thing you could do. Yeah, like, it's a sign of weakness. And it's not like he's he. Germany was shitty. He thought maybe this would really talk to like smart people. And he was like, oh, no, that's not what's happening there. I was wrong. Like changed his mind within like a year. Like, that's amazing. I think that's great. No, it is great. And there's a quote from his daughter. There's a quote from his daughter in the book. But I decided it was a morality tale because in three or four years of writing those things, he went a hundred direction and he became a very heartfelt liberal. He was of the imagination, a Nazi sympathizer. And then I'm going to end it with this because I think this is amazing. So in July 1950, Vincent Price recorded an episode of The Saint radio show and he gave this little speech at the end just talking about how awful being racist and prejudiced and all these things are and how it's destroying the country and he just it's a really nice little block of copy here and I'm, I thought maybe I would read it because it's super appropriate to what's going on right now yes ladies and gentlemen poison doesn't always come in bottles and it isn't always marked with the skull and crossbones of danger poison can take the form of words and phrases and acts the venom of racial and religious hatred here in the United States Perhaps more than ever before, we must learn to recognize the poison of prejudice and to discover the antidote to its dangerous effects. Evidences of racial and religious hatred in this country place a potent weapon in the hands of our enemies, providing them with the ammunition of criticism. Moreover, group hatred menaces the entire fabric of democratic life. As for the antidote, you can fight prejudice first by recognizing it for what it is, and second, by actively accepting and rejecting people on their individual worth and by speaking up against prejudice for understanding. Remember, freedom and prejudice can't exist side by side. If you choose freedom, fight prejudice. That's amazing. Vincent Price is fucking rad, is my point. <laughs> he is very I rad. Think he's definitely, he's so, he's so great. And Definitely, like, if you haven't seen some Vincent Price movies, go through his through his his list because there's some really great ones. There's The Tingler, super fun. House on Haunted Hills, great. He did a, a film noir in the 40s called His Kind of Woman with uh, Robert Mitchum. It's not even it's not a horror movie. It's film noir. He's super great in it. Just the clips of him on talk shows or like he did the Muppet show. And there's this really great like scene of him like with Kermit and. He's just he was very charming. Every story I read is like that he was a total gentleman. People loved working with him. You know, his kids say he was a great dad. Oh, I love He's hearing not that. A great, I love Vincent Price. And I love that Bill Hader played him on SNL and my husband dressed up as him for Halloween once. It's awesome. I love Vincent Price. <laughs> no, it's good to end with somebody like an old school Hollywood person that we can find out is not a total creep. 
actually harder to come by than you think. Yes. <laughs> they got away with a lot of shit. Let's just say this, guys. We're going to do this again. Definitely. We will find other people. So that's it for season three, episode one. Next week, you're, uh, Sonia's going to be coming up with a creep that we're going to be talking about. And I think it's a modern creep, right? It is a modern creep. And he's, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. It's a modern creep. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. Just look for What a Creep Podcast. Be sure to subscribe. That way you'll never miss an episode. You can follow us on social media, What a Creep Podcast, Facebook, Instagram. If you want a sticker, send us an email, whatacreeppodcast at gmail.com. And we're both really active on Twitter. It's Creep Pod on Twitter. And also, if you have suggestions, wherever you find us, send us your suggestions. But especially if you were on Twitter, if you use the uh, the GIF of Annie Potts and Ghost Ghostbusters, we got one. That's a great way to send us a suggestion. I find that just adorable when I see that happening. I love that one. Where can people find you, Margo? You can find me on social media at Brooklyn Fit Chick. I'm most active on Twitter and Instagram. And my blog is brooklynfitchick.com. And Sonia, where can they find you? You can find me at the thesoniashow.com and on Twitter at the Sonia Show. And I'm pretty active on there. So if you hit me up, I have things to say. <laughs> All right. So in the meantime, everybody, have a good week. We'll be back next week. And don't be a creep. Creeps. Thank you for listening to us talk about creeps. You can follow us at What a Creep Podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. But don't follow us too closely. You can email us your creepy stories at whatacreeppodcast at gmail.com. But please keep your dick pics to yourself. Ha, 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 ha.